Well, as we continue today a series of reflections on the subject of the why, the what, and the how of prayer, I want to um, reprise portions of one of the very first messages I ever gave at Christ Church because it speaks so pointedly to the subject of what it is we are meant to bring to prayer with us. Uh, we talked last week about why pray. Uh, Eric and Tara Beth reflected with us on the reasons for prayer. Today, we want to talk about what we're meant to bring to the subject of prayer, the practice of prayer, uh, in the way of a mental and, an, and a heart attitude that can leverage the full potential of what prayer involves. And um, this particular set of ideas I first shared when I was 38 years old. But the lessons that I uh, have underlined with you this morning go all the way back to when I was just 8 years old. And when I was 8 years old, there were few things that I loved more than the experience of driving with my grandfather. And I want to show you a photograph of my grandfather right now so you get a little sense of that. That little boy on his shoulders is me at a little bit younger than the age of eight. Uh, My grandfather uh, had one of those uh, automobiles that went the way of the dinosaur in the oil crisis of the 1970s. Some of you will remember these kinds of cars. They had hoods so long and large, airplanes routinely landed on them took or looked like they could. Uh, they, they were vehicles so vast that when they turned, it was like an oil tanker moving. And God help anything that would be in its way when it, the bow of one of these great uh, uh, boat cars uh, came around. And to my eight-year-old mind, uh, this car was one of the most glorious things that had ever been made. And the chance to just ride around in that car with my grandfather was one of life's great pleasures for me. And we would go out. I would sometimes spend the weekend with my grandparents at their home in Pound Ridge, New York. And we'd go out and uh, get a newspaper, run errands in the morning. And uh, just sitting with my granddaddy was one of life's uh, delightful experiences for me. Um, my grandfather and grandmother lived in a, in a remarkable home that uh, sat atop of a very high hill, um, and the house had once belonged to Tallulah Bankhead, the silent screen star. And uh, the house could only be accessed by this extremely long driveway that wound its way up this hill to this manse uh, atop that rise. And, And I'll never forget what it was like going up that road and the times when my grandfather, after we'd been out doing the errands, would, would pull in to just pass the gates of the, of the driveway, and he'd stop the car, and he'd look over at me with this look of mischief in his eyes, and he'd say, do you want to drive? Do you want to drive? And I'd say, yes. And he'd reach over, and he'd grab a hold of me, he'd haul me over, and he'd sit me on his lap. My legs weren't long enough to reach the, the pedals of the car, but I could sure as heck reach the steering wheel. And he would introduce me to what I would simply know as my first driving lessons in life. Now, looking back, I, I realize that what I learned from my grandfather on those occasions actually has some relevance 
when it comes to thinking about what we are meant to bring to the process of prayer. And that's what I want to think about with you today and see if we can't take home some principles and practices that will be useful to us in our prayer life. One of the first things my grandfather would tell me when I got on, on his lap in those situations was, Danny, you really have to, and he called me Danny. They all called me Danny in those days. You really have to use your head when you drive. I mean, you really have to think about what you're doing. And, and those words come back to me when I reflect on the words of the Apostle John as he talks about the subject of prayer. Uh, John gives us something in our scripture passages for today that our heads can take hold of. In fact, that they really need to take hold of if we are going to access the full possibility of prayer. And this is what the apostle says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 21. We have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and we do What pleases him? Now, I want you to think about those words with me because I think John is telling us two really important things in that brief statement uh, that, that will be helpful to us. First of all, John is reminding us that we are supposed to be bringing to the process of prayer obedient lives. That we are meant to be bringing into our relationship with God and the things we seek from God, obedient lives. I think in a related way, if I asked my grandfather if I could drive shortly after I had just socked my sister or taken cookies from the kitchen uh, when I wasn't supposed to, was the likelihood of him responding affirmatively to my request going to go up we're going to go down. Which way? Down. You got it. Down. That's right. If I had been patently disobedient, the likelihood of him wanting to honor the desires or wanting to entrust uh, the wheel to me, in a sense, was uh, going to go down. Unless, of course, I had offered a genuinely heartfelt sorry and resolved to, uh, to mend my ways. And then it was amazing how quickly my grandfather's attitude might come around and how eager he would be to listen to my desires. Now, there's a very important principle there for us. Unconfessed sin or unrepentant sin impedes prayer. We cannot come to God asking him to do for us what we'd like to see done if we have not been in a pattern of doing things that he's asked us to do. Uh, God is looking not for perfection from us, but he's looking for a heart and a mind and a life that's oriented in the direction of his desires before he's going to entrust us with even greater capacity and power. The psalmist says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I was holding on to sin, if I had a pattern in my life that um, was not helpful to his purposes in my life or the lives of other people, if I was cherishing this out of a sense of pride or resentment or anger, and then I go to God in prayer, if I cherished this sin more than I did an obedient life in response to him, then the Lord would not have listened. But God is always willing to listen to the humble and the contrite heart. He's not looking for perfection from us. I want to underline that again. We all mess up. 
But he is looking for a humble heart, one that is, is willing to examine uh, our own life and, and repent of the things that are not in alignment with his purposes. And, and when you bring an obedient life to God in prayer, uh, even a, an imperfect but a life that is seeking obedience in prayer, you can have great confidence, tremendous confidence, that God is going to listen eagerly to your desires. As Eric and Tara Beth reminded us last week, when you approach God in prayer, you are not talking to some kind of stingy stranger. Uh, when you approach God in prayer, you're not addressing a distant deity who's reluctant to do anything for you or someone who you have to shout and wave your arms just to get the attention of. When you approach God in prayer, you're approaching somebody who looks at you with the same kind of compassion and hope and earnest desire for the good as my grandfather looked at me when I was just eight years old. Um, when, you, when you come before God in prayer with a humble and contrite heart, you have climbed into granddaddy's lap, is what I'm trying to tell you. And from now on, you are riding with him in the big car. And that car is the church of Jesus Christ. And its destiny is the mansion on top of the hill. And he is passionately eager to take you towards the direction of the good. Every single time you sit in the lap of prayer. So don't be anxious as you pray. Be confident. Don't be anxious about the... Um, the health challenges you may be facing or the financial worries that may be uh, coming in your life this season. Don't, don't, be, don't be overly uh, concerned about any sudden reversal you may have recently experienced or any troubles on the horizon because you are with him. You are in the lap of the almighty God himself, older and wiser and more powerful than you can even imagine. And again, you're in the car. It's going up the hill and he is certain to get you where you ultimately want to go. You can have confidence in that truth and drive. Now at the bottom of the driveway, I would climb into my granddaddy's lap and I would just sit there for a moment and enjoy where I was. I would love the feeling of just being there with those great big shoulders and strong arms near me. He would reach around. He wouldn't hold the wheel. He'd just rest his hands underneath it at the ready. And then he would say to me, okay, Danny, put your hands on the steering wheel and hold on firmly. Hold on firmly. Now, in a sense, that is exactly what God is saying to you when you come to pray. This is what you need to bring to the process of prayer. You need to bring a commitment to hold on firmly in prayer. He needs to say that to us because left to our own devices, we are notoriously uh, infirm when it comes to the process of prayer. Maybe not you. I know in my own prayer life sometimes, I will step back and I'll hear myself praying and I will listen to the indefiniteness of my prayers. I'll hear myself saying things like, God, would you please bless this situation? Will you please be with that person? Will you please um, 
help me deal with that particular situation. I don't know if you ever pray in these kinds of generalities yourself. But can you hear how loose those kinds of requests are? Uh, can, can you hear how, how reluctant, in a sense, they are to really hold on firmly to the, to the steering wheel of prayer? It's like we think that, that, that we don't want to hold on too firmly because we're afraid that, that, that maybe the whole thing won't go the direction we want, and then we'll be terribly disappointed. And so we pray in these generalities. If my prayer is, is general, then I won't be all that disappointed if nothing happens. But God's word says that, it, that, that things will not happen until we get more specific than we sometimes do uh, get in prayer. Why is that? Well, Brother Andrew Murray, one of the great uh, saints of prayer in the Christian tradition, supplies the answer in these particular words. And this is what he says. Our prayers must not be a vague appeal to God's mercy. They must not be a vague appeal to God's mercy, an indefinite cry for blessing, but rather the distinct expression of definite need. It's not that we must be definite because God doesn't know our needs. God desires such specificity for our own sakes. Such definite prayer teaches us to know our own needs better. Has that ever happened to you? You've been in prayer and suddenly what comes up out of your mouth was something you didn't even know about yourself. You didn't realize that the really core issue for you was you're afraid, right? Or, or, you're, or you're deeply sad and, and grief-stricken over something. It's often in the process of praying that we come to ourselves, that we get to know who we are and what we long for. Uh, It demands time and thought and self-scrutiny, writes Murray, to find out what really is our greatest need. It it searches us and puts us to the test as to whether our desires are honest and real, such as we're ready to persevere in. It helps us to wait for the special answer and to mark it when it finally comes. Specificity helps us to wait for the special answer and to mark it when it comes. You know, over the course of my life, I've had a number of spiritual grandfathers, in a sense. Um, People who have been significant mentors to me in different areas of my own discipleship. But when I think of the topic of prayer... Uh, One of the most significant mentors in my life was a guy by the name of Jeff Brown, who was the um, organist, actually, in the church I served in San Diego area. Uh, Jeff would attend our staff meetings, and we had a a tradition of going around and sharing prayer requests at the start of the staff meetings. And um, I always put that up front because as a pastor, I believe prayer is really important. But truthfully speaking, I was eager to rush on to the next part of the agenda, typically, prayer was a little too cursory for me in those days, Jeff would always insist that we linger longer on this. And and, and so as we're taking requests, Jeff is asking follow-up questions. Well, what is it you hope will happen for your aunt? I mean, can you say a little bit more about that? Uh, You know, that kind of thing. And and frankly, I would silently get frustrated because the agenda was dragging. And and I wondered why he was being, you know, so pious uh, sometimes. 
Until one day, we're in one of these staff meetings, and, and, and Jeff pulls out of his Bible this, these, these sheets of paper. And, and he, he asks for some time on our agenda to just go back over the things we've been praying for. And he has kept a list, a specific list, of those specific prayers over many, many months. And now he just goes down the list and he asks everybody, you know, Roxy, what happened when we were praying for your aunt? Uh, I remember, as, as I read, you said she had a gallbladder problem and you were praying that she would recover quickly from that and go back to life as she had. Did that happen? And then he'd go around to each of us and, and, and ask what had happened. And as, as we're starting to tell these stories, this sense of awe begins to spread over the room. As we see how in like more than 80% of these life situations, God has specifically answered the specificity of those prayers. And it was just stunning to me. I remember uh, some weeks later having one of those dark night of the soul experiences where I was uh, anguished over the church's finances. If you're a small business owner or Uh, you run a household budget, you've had these moments where you just don't know where the money's going to come from and you can see that there are expenses that have to be paid. And I remembered asking God very specifically about this. I was, in, I guess, motivated a bit by Jeff's example. And so I'm there in the, in the middle of the night praying to God and telling him the truth. I said, God, we need about $50,000 more than we have to finish up those renovations on the Christian Education Building. And we need about $75,000, more than we have, to meet the mission obligations of the church. And God, we need about $75,000 on top of that to, to handle this and that and that. And I went down the list in my prayer. And I'm saying, God, please answer that. Please bring the money that we need to address those particular needs. Three days later, a man walks into my office. I can still see his face. He's an occasional tender of our church. He's given very seldom to, uh, in record uh, to our church. And he, he, he asks for a moment with me, and he explains that he's just instructed his broker to transfer $200,000, the exact number I prayed about, to the church for us to use, with, use as, as we see fit. And I just fell completely awestruck, jaw-dropped, silent. The Apostle John says, We know that God hears us in whatever we ask. And the more reasoned and specific the request, the better. Child, God says to you and to me, I want you to put your hands on the wheel and hold it firmly. Really firmly. Lord, some of you are thinking right now, There's this little lottery next week. And I've got ticket number 4460085. And if you wouldn't mind it, I'd like my winnings specifically in $100 bills. Just so that we won't get too disappointed if that exact prayer is not answered, let me hasten to make this observation because this is also something we need to bring 
in our minds to the process of prayer. God answers every prayer of a humble and contrite heart and a believing and specific mind. Let me say that one more time. God answers every prayer of a humble and contrite heart and a specific believing mind. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is wait. But if you want your prayers to be answered more frequently, yes, then there's another lesson I learned from my grandfather that may be helpful to us. After I would climb onto my grandfather's lap and I would take hold of the wheel as firmly as he wanted me to, this is what he would say. Now aim the car up the driveway. And then he'd put his foot on the gas as I aimed. We don't always aim correctly. That's the reality in our prayers. We don't know it. We're like child, children in the presence of the grandfather. We are less experienced in the ways of the driveway and of driving through this life than we will be one day. Um, which is why I think Jesus' famous statement to us, ask and you shall receive. How many of you ever heard that statement before? Ask and you shall receive. This is why that statement uh, mystifies us or miffs us at times. Uh, Because we can think of specific instances where we have asked and we did not receive what we expected to receive. I remember feeling frustrated about this myself when I was a very young Christian. I I, I said to, to others that I knew, that statement of Jesus isn't true. It doesn't work. I tried it. I had a really rough week. I was not able to study for that test. And I prayed specifically, God, I need an A on this test for my GPA to get into grad school. And it didn't happen. Or I prayed specifically, I think that girl is lovely. I like her to go out with me. And she wouldn't go out with me. I did not receive in spite of my asking. And when I failed for the very longest time, I think to see, and many of us still today miss ourselves, is that the promise of Jesus in that statement in Matthew is contextually linked to a prior verse. Uh, And I want you to look at that prior verse with me. Um, He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. That important qualifier, that hidden then, is there all through the Bible's teaching about the subject of prayer. Um, The teaching of the Bible about prayer is not a name-it-and-claim-it theology. God is not the cosmic ATM that we just key in the buttons on, and boom, he gives us exactly the denominations we've asked for. Um, the the, the, The requests that we make in prayer are deeply linked to whether we have aligned ourselves first to his purposes. Listen to this as I just kind of take you on a quick survey through some of the teaching of the Bible on prayer. The psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and then he shall give you the desires of your heart. When will he give you the desires of your heart? When you're delighting yourself in the Lord. When the things that you desire are the things of the Lord. 
Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you. When can you ask what you will and have it done for you? When his word has so shaped your thinking and your heart that you're asking wisely. The Apostle John says, if we ask anything according to his will, then God hears us. When does he hear us? When we're asking according to his will. And the Apostle James goes on and says, if you ask and do not receive, it may be because you ask with the wrong motives. Now, I admit that's kind of discouraging for those of us who would like prayer to work like a rabbit's foot before we take the test or before we buy the lottery ticket. But that's not what prayer is about. Prayer is about driving in the big car with God. Prayer is about moving the great vehicle of our life and of history and of the church in the direction of God's glorious purposes. And, and, and if we want God to answer our prayers with a yes, then our prayers have to be aimed up the driveway of the kingdom of God's direction. Uh, I noticed, even at eight years old, that, that when I began to steer the car off the driveway, and that would happen sometimes. I remember one time I got really confident, and I was just driving, and I did like my grandfather. I reached for the car radio. And I lost it. You know, I started to go off the driveway. Never once when I went off beam, never once did my grandfather ever give it the gas. Not once. He only gave it the gas when I was pointed up the center of that driveway. I'm glad my legs weren't long enough to reach the gas pedal. And to this day, I think, probably, I'm, I'm grateful that my, my legs aren't quite long enough to reach God's gas pedal and that he still has the discretion because, frankly, my prayers aren't always aimed perfectly. And maybe yours aren't either. There are times when I confuse my wishes and my wants with my needs. There, there are times when my false self um, overtakes me and I pursue ends, or I pray for ends that are more about me, my ego, my place, my position, my power, my control, than they are about the good things of God. There are times when I am inclined to want quick success or easy solutions instead of the longer journey that shapes character and builds trust and confidence in God. Uh, And there are times in these moments when I pray amiss and God does not give to those prayers the gas. I used to think it was because God was stingy. I now realize it's because he loves me. At a level that even my granddaddy uh, was only a tiny hint at. You see, a sovereign God has invited you to experience the joy of driving the grand car of his purposes. He has designed a system, as an old mentor, another spiritual grandfather, Harry Hacken, used to say to me, he's designed a system that allows us to play a part. And and the process of prayer is his way of just inviting us into that system to take hold of, of, of life and of power 
and to, to learn to move it in the direction that he has in mind. But he will only give it the gas as long as our hands are moving in the directions that his would were they on that particular wheel. He wants us involved, but he's also determined that he's going to get your life and my life and the car of the church and of human history up that driveway towards the fulfillment of his final purpose. So friends, let's pray for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we want to bring to our prayers. First and foremost, a passion to see the will of God done and through our lives. The best way I know to do this is to actually use the written word of God as a guide to prayer. It's a roadmap for prayer. You know, go home and read uh, through the Sermon on the Mount and and pray for those attributes uh, of behavior to mark your life and that of the people that you love. Uh, Take a look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. The, the, the attribute, the character traits that God tells us we should be longing for. You'll see them on the, on the window in our sanctuary. The Holy Spirit window has them. The fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, etc. And pray for those things. Pray, God, grow that in me. Or grow that in my spouse or my kids, my coworkers. Uh, take a look at the list of ethical instructions that God gives us in the Ten Commandments. Or in Romans chapter 12. That would be a great read for today. Read Romans chapter 12. And pray for the capacity to live in that direction more fully. In your life and the people in your life to live that way as well. Let's pray for power to reach our community for Jesus Christ. Let's pray for the, for the power we need to lift up the poor. To bring clean water to people that need it. And hope to the hurting. Let's pray for the that the heart of our church might become more like Jesus Christ. Let's pray that, that God will fill up our family and our work and, and glorify himself through everything about those environments. Let's pray together for those particular things and just wait for the engine to roar. Just wait for God to give those prayers the gas. I want to say in closing that I do not know why God doesn't always answer prayers which seem pretty much up the yellow line of the road of his kingdom. I mean, have you ever wondered that? I I definitely have. There have been times when I've prayed for things that seem so obviously what I would think he would want to have happen that I just don't understand why he's saying no or why he says wait. Um, I do know that, that even Jesus prayed very specifically at times and, and the result did not immediately come in the way that he asked for. Even Jesus. You may remember the Garden of Gethsemane, that classic moment. He's facing the cross, uh, the reality of the suffering that was coming his way. And Jesus says, Father, uh, take this cup of suffering from me. You know, If there's any way, I know you're God that does not delight in the pain of people. Take this cup of suffering from me. And and God doesn't take the cup of suffering from his own son, from the one who was right there in his lap. God doesn't take it away. 
But in the prayer of Jesus is also this qualifier that I think needs to be tacked on with as much fervor to every prayer we offer. We need to pray from our heart. Lord, this is what I want. This is what I believe. This is what I desire that I think is in accordance with your will. But then add on as Jesus did. Take this cup from me, Father, yet above all else, your will be done. Your will be done. Maybe I can't see far enough enough up the driveway to realize why this particular response is the right one for now. It's strange, isn't it, how God responded to his child's request to be relieved of the suffering. And yet, strangely, that cross of suffering is now for millions of people across the world and throughout history not the symbol of unanswered prayer, but rather the symbol of the power of God to bring victory, hope, and redemption through unpredictable means, through, through, through means that ultimately weave into his purposes in a way that no human being, even Jesus in that moment, can fully understand. So here's what I want to say to you as we wind this up. Until we get to that place where we can see with perfect clarity as God sees. And that day's coming. The Bible tells us that. That we see through a glass darkly now, but one day we shall know fully, even as we have been fully known. Until that particular day comes. And we see all of the purposes behind what God causes or God allows. Uh, this is what I want to encourage you to bring to prayer. First, Bring a humble and contrite heart. Bring a humble and a contrite heart. Before you present a list of your demands, stop and ask yourself if you've been keeping his commands. Secondly, bring a spirit of confidence. Reflect on the wonder of whose lap you're sitting in when you come to prayer and just how pleased he is to have you there. Thirdly, Bring specific stated desires. Hold on to the wheel really firmly when you pray. Fourth, bring prayers that are aimed up the driveway of the kingdom's purposes. Uh, Really think about what it is you're praying for. If you want God to give it the gas, align your aspirations with that narrow road that leads to life in all of its fullness. And finally, bring a faithful trust with you. Bring that to prayer, a faithful trust in his ultimate providence. Please note that these hands that are resting just under yours when you take hold of that wheel, those hands are pierced with nail holes. And those nail holes are there to tell you something. That no matter how bad it looks, no matter how many potholes you hit, no matter how steep the climb, no matter how difficult the journey may be at certain moments for you, this God knows how hard the road can get. And those nail holes are there because he's with you. He's for you totally. And you can absolutely trust that he has a power and a plan to bring you all the way home to where one day you'll be so very glad to be.
Would you pray with me as we come now before that God together? Our gracious God, we come before you and we pray again. And now with an even deeper intentionality and focus and meaning, those words that you have taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.